Well, I know I'm proclaiming God's word whenever I read the gospel at mass. Sure. Well, it's written down. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that, Michael. Appreciate it. Contributed. Yes. Very good. No, but I mean, I know I'm proclaiming his word. Um, and those who proclaim his word um, are his heralds. But in particular... E-R-A-L-D, not A-R-O-L-D. Correct. I'm not an old man named Harold. <laughs> That's right. There's a stiff distinction in yes. the, the, in the and, theological and, community. And a vitally important one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, come on, Harold. Hurry up and read the gospel. All right, Jesus. Oh, let's come over. It's just not staying down. This thing is... <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> But the point I'm making is about the priest, in a particular way, when he proclaims the gospel, is in persona Christi, in a similar way that he is when he consecrates the Eucharist. Mm. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Welcome to Manfully Live Podcast. If you've never tuned in to Manfully Live Podcast, Manfully Live comes from the well-known quote from St. Irenaeus that says the glory of God is manfully alive. Well, it's it's probably been pretty rare in your life that you've come across men that are fully alive. So through manfully alive, we unite ourselves with the Gospels, which is the written words of the only man in history that has ever been fully alive. And so, Nicholas, how do we get to know our, our friends? You have to converse with them. You have to ask questions. You have to know their life stories. And And if you had four of your dearest and closest friends right down the whole of your life, people could get to know you through that, correct? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we do that same thing through the Gospels oh. so that we can become these men fully alive. I saw what you did there. I, I did yeah. I, I did what you saw. Yeah, um, four Gospels. <laughs> I'm proud of you. That's awesome. The biggest takeaway, right, from last week was really about understanding that Christ is the bread of life. Yes. And man, that is such a, uh, you know, this is one of those teachings that there's a huge differentiator between the Catholics and a lot of the other Christian churches, because it's not a symbolic teaching in the Catholic faith. Going to Mass and eating the Eucharist and allowing it to change you, knowing that this is the flesh of Christ that you are receiving was the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Did you do it? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very fortunate as a deacon. I get to go to mass, uh, several times a week. And so, uh, I almost always go on Tuesdays, sometimes Thursdays. Uh, and honestly, during the school year, I go almost every day of the week, but, um, it's a great honor to be able to be behind, uh, the altar and to watch the consecration so closely. Um, it's awesome. So yeah, I get to, receive his body into my body. It was great. Yeah. I think the, uh, the hardest, the, the harder reality is accepting that the physical presence is not a physically mapped feeling, right? Like the idea in my head of receiving the flesh of our Lord in the form of bread, it, 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 it deteriorates on the senses, right? It, uh, it dissolves on your tongue, right? And, Understanding that the physical reality that I'm experiencing doesn't match the spiritual reality that actually is. Yeah. And there are many miracles that have occurred within the church where 
the physical presence of blood has actually become physical human tissue. Um, yeah, where the host has become tissue, and, and the and the uh, uh, the wine has actually become human blood. Yeah, um, and then they know the blood type. They know everything. The, uh, everything. Yeah, the age, all kinds of things. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So uh, we are so fortunate that the gospels for the next couple of weeks are all focused on the Eucharist. So we get to. Uh, talk about this more and more, which is, yeah. you know, if there has to be one thing that's so near and dear to my heart about the faith, it's <laughs> the Eucharist. So, so here we go. Well, the discourse around the bread and life discourses, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> bread and life. Shall so, we begin in a prayer? We should. We should. Yeah. Let's go ahead and start in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, there is no more precious gift than you give us in the Holy Eucharist. Help us to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to ponder this mystery, this gift, this beauty, that we may be in awe of the way in which you give of yourself, that we may come to believe. Lord, we believe but we sometimes have a hard time believing fully. And so we ask you, Lord, help us in our disbelief and help us to come to you in the greatest gift that you give us in and through your body and blood. We ask this through you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Whew, we've got a we've got a big gospel today. Um, again, a continuation of the Bread of Life Discourses. And... Uh, I, I think if it's okay with you, I'll just go ahead and get right into it. Yeah, let's read it so we can talk about it. A reading from the Gospel of John. This is chapter 6, verses 41 through 51. The Jews murmured about Jesus because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? And how can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. And I will raise him on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to my Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, for the life of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome Gospel. Awesome Gospel. I, I, I have to ask you something before we get into the, the points that we want people to take away from this Gospel. Okay. Um, so often Jesus talks in parable, and so often Jesus talks in a literal sense. Yeah. How is he speaking here in this Gospel? Oh, well, 
That's a great question because it, it goes straight to the point, right? Um, there, there is no parable here. He's not speaking figuratively. He's not speaking in a way that <clears throat> help us, helps us to understand one thing by representing another. He's telling us straight out that he is the bread of life and that the bread of life is his flesh and that that flesh that we will consume will give us life. So there's no mincing words here. There's no, there's no, there's no parable. There's no hidden meaning here. Right. He this is, is, this is flat out it. slapping you in the face with the truth. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Which, which is, which is refreshing, especially when you're talking with the Lord. Right. Yes. And so the, the, the conversation, and I'm imagining myself in this position saying, so, uh, Jesus, you know, in the Eucharist, is that you? His answer would be, yeah. Yes. That is my flesh. Right. End of speech. Right. End yeah. of talk. End of conversation. <clears throat> so, yeah, let's talk about the Eucharist even, even more profoundly. I mean, it is truly God's body, blood, soul, and divinity. So, Eucharist, that word, what does that mean? The, the word Eucharist actually means thanksgiving, uh, which makes sense. There, there's a long sort of history there in terms of the Old Testament sacrifices that the Israelite people gave. One of them was called the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Whenever something great happened in your life, you would perform this ceremony, uh, giving God thanks. Ironically, what it said is that uh, there's a prophecy that says essentially all of the sacrifices will go away except for the sacrifice of thanksgiving, which uh, we know, looking back, hindsight being 2020, we recognize that it is the Mass, it is the Eucharist, that is the sacrifice of Thanksgiving that continues from the Israelite tradition. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it said that the only thing that we can give to the Lord that he cannot give to himself is Thanksgiving as a created to a creator. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's one of those things where I don't know if that's, you know, factually sound, but it's, it's a beautiful thought thinking that there is something unique that I can give the Lord that he does not have necessity to give himself, right? Why would the Lord give himself his own thanksgiving? Sure. Right? I that, think the other that is thing... something of a humility. Yeah. Right? And it, it, it spits in the face of pride. But it also is a recognition of our place, right? Right. That, that we are the created, not the creator. And that we are grateful for what has been given. Well, and that's precisely the reason why we are thankful is because of the other thing that he has taken from us. The other thing we have to offer to God is our sin. Mm -hmm. And so if we hand over our sin and he takes care of it for us, all the more reason for us to be filled with thanksgiving, praise, awe, how amazing God is. Um, so, yeah, um, you know. The Mass itself is supposed to help us to enter into this mystery, and I think one of the most beautiful parts of the Mass, for me, maybe because I get to participate in it, is the way in which I have been trained to show absolute reverence to the body and blood of Christ during the Mass, especially in um, purifying the vessels. And so in purifying the vessels, I take great care to make sure that all of the particles of the species of either the bread or the wine, which is actually the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, is is disposed of properly, consumed rather than disposed, right? Mm -hmm. So all of the crumbs from the paten go into the chalice, and the chalice is purified with water, and the water and the crumbs and the extra bits uh, or droplets of wine are all consumed because it's the body and blood of Christ. 
And then those vessels are wiped with the purificator to purify them. So then, then after that process, they can be cleansed or washed, but mm-hmm. not with any of the remnants of the Eucharist. Because all the remnants are all the bread of life. This is the life-giving part of everything. They are too precious to be wasted. Yes, yes. And in God's infinite goodness, in his great care for us, he doesn't just leave us in the mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a mystery. It is to be pondered. It is to be um, beautifully contemplated. Contemplated, I, I like the word I was coming Digested. up with was like like gnawed upon, like <laughs> yeah, like chewed, like upon. chewed up, yeah. you know, which is precisely what we savor. do with the Eucharist, right? Yeah. To savor it, to to enjoy it. Um, but God goes another step further, you know, and I think it now is a, an appropriate time to talk about the Eucharistic miracles within the church, whereby there have been times uh, when people have doubted uh, the the true presence of the Eucharist, that it's truly the body, blood, soul, the divinity of Christ. And there have been times throughout history in which the Eucharist itself has not just transubstantiated, which means the substance has changed. That's the, the language of the church that helps us to understand that even though it continues to look like bread and look like wine, what it is, what it's substantively made out of, actually changes. But there are times in history where it actually transforms, where the form of what it is changes. And so instead of looking like bread and wine, there are instances, miracles within the church in which the Eucharistic species actually transforms into the actual blood and body, actual heart tissue of Jesus Christ himself, which on a few instances has even been scientifically um, verified, uh, re- researched, and yeah, verified, validated. And this is by non-related parties to the Catholic Church. So That's this right, non-Christians. Yeah, fact. non-Christians and atheists yeah. alike finding how, how about, did you come across this they wouldn't even cardiovascular tell them they, tissue? Exactly. And how did you get this from someone who had gone through this much pain? And why is the tissue still living? Yeah, yeah. Right? And verifying what blood type it is, <clears throat> how old the man would, would have been, 33 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. amazing. St- not just statistics, facts about this tissue that once they were told that this tissue came from the Eucharist, many of them converted. Many of them went, oh, oh my goodness, this is real. Um, God in his great kindness for us, um, comes down to our level from time to time and allows us uh, a glimpse of what it is we already believe as a church. Now, wait a minute, Nicholas. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? (laughs) Do we not know his father and his mother? How can we say, how can he say, I've come down from heaven? Right, right. Yeah. This gospel presents an interesting difficulty because those who see Jesus and he proclaims this good news of the Eucharist to them so boldly, so blatantly, so clearly, um, can't get past the fact that they knew him growing up. No, you're just Joseph and Mary's old boy, you know, like, yeah. who, who are you? How can, how can this possibly be true of you? Like, I remember you playing out on the streets when you were a kid, right? Like, they cannot see beyond the physical. How ironic, because that's precisely what Christ is asking us to do by seeing bread and wine and recognizing it as the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. It's the moment at which something 
remarkable comes from something ordinary. Yes. We have experiences of the Lord oftentimes within our own family, within our children, right? Um, my, my, my daughter had a brilliant moment, just truly brilliant moment earlier tonight where she, uh, it was a bit of manipulation I saw of her, but um, she had she had saw, seen my sibling earlier in the day, and uh, we had said, you know, he does something better than me. And she, uh, I said, you know, good night, sweetheart. And she goes, Daddy, I need more kisses. And I go, oh, you already got all of the kisses that you needed for tonight. And she goes, I wonder if Uncle So-and-so uh, says <laughs> it gives better kisses than you. And I go... Hmm. And I started laughing, honestly. But I think that's the that's the type of interaction, these these aha moments that the Lord offers to us that oftentimes are sensory, you know, the five senses, taste, touch, sight, smell, and sound, can really override the actual reality of what is going on. Sometimes it's hard for us to get past what we think as real because we can't sense it <clears throat> but that is the definition of faith we don't see god but he exists yeah we don't see body and blood and yet it is um when we come to faith we come we come to the fullness of faith because it, it is a trusting relationship we can only believe if we believe that God, who is infinite wisdom, infinite power, is telling us the truth. And so it comes down to, is Jesus trustworthy? When he says, I'm the bread of life, and that bread is my flesh for the life of the world, do we believe him? Obviously, those in the town didn't. They said, oh, you're just Joseph and Mary's kid. Yeah. But, but we have to ask ourselves, do we believe him? So do we believe him? I hope so. I hope so. And in fact, not only believe in him, we should believe his heralds as well. Those who proclaim him, who, who read his gospel, who, who give the homilies that are supposed to unlock, unfold the mysteries of the gospels for us. So these are like post-prophets, right? The ones that bring the story of truth as it's already occurred and as it's occurring in people's lives, right? We are at the fulfillment of the truth. We are at the point where we are living in the fruits of the the, the life of the Lord, right? We're not an Old Testament people. We are a New Testament people, the people of hope, the people of joy, the people of life, right. people of the Spirit. I mean, we're in the sort of the time of the Spirit, if you will, the Old Testament being the time of the Father, the Gospel era being the time of the Son. It is the Holy Spirit that, that uh, enters into us at our baptism and guides us ever closer to the mysteries of the faith, including the Eucharist, so that we may have fulfillment in grace and be strengthened in order to grow in virtue and love and service and all these things, right? It's, it's, it comes full circle in and through the Eucharist. That's why the Eucharist is called the source and summit of the faith. Everything that we need comes from the Eucharist. It is all grace. It is all love. And everything that we do in terms of response to that love is given back to the Eucharist. There's a relationship there. And, and it's beautiful you know, for those of our listeners who, who have a hard time either understanding or <clears throat> accepting this teaching of the church, I would just ask you to ponder its beauty. Ponder how wonderful it is that God loves us so much that he wasn't content with just dying on the cross 
and then going to heaven and waiting for us, that he never wanted to leave us and that he wanted to continue to feed us with his own body and blood so that we would have the strength to continually seek him in and through the faith. The beauty of that story alone should should spur us to desire to believe in it. Well, and just, he, the, just the example of love that he sets at the table, right? Yes. And uh, I yes. think that's the, that's the type of love that we are called to, that life of no greater has love, this love, than the, to lay down one's life for a friend. And, and oftentimes when we make that, when we hear that phrase, it's, it's a thought of red martyrdom, like I need to die for the people that I love. But there are a lot harder, more difficult, long-term things to die to mm-hmm. than just flesh because flesh you can die to instantaneously and be dead. Heartbeat stops, your, your life is over, right? Yeah. But the, the white martyrs of the faith are the ones that, that died to those sensory urges, um, especially when you're talking about the world we live in where hedonism runs rampant hedonism is the do what feels right mentality yeah and oftentimes denial of your senses discipline of your body discipline of your urges is not taught right but this is this is i mean think about this discipline and discipleship these are the same root word mm-hmm. right so if you have no level of discipline but you desire to be one of the disciples of the Lord who believes all the teachings that, that Christ gives freely. And maybe in your heart you believe them, but you don't put them into practice or there's no convicting actions that support it. Then you are the creaking of the rusty gate. You are the noisy gong making noise that does nothing but annoy, right? It doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring anything about and so I guess the, the question I would be asking on that is at what point does faith transcend belief and start to incorporate action? Yeah, yeah. It is so easy <clears throat> to lose faith if we don't make acts of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's important for us to... Um, to do the actions of the faithful, to receive the sacrament, to pray to the Lord for understanding, to continually um, avail ourselves uh, ourselves of time in order to pray, in order for the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts of the truth. Receiving the sacraments and, and daily prayer is, is vital to a disciple, and you're absolutely right. We can't be disciples without discipline, and, and discipline means that we need to say, okay, I want to believe this. I think I do believe this. And so I'm going to live accordingly. And by living out of the faith, simultaneously strengthens us in that faith. Well said. Well said. But it, it's not, it's, it's so much easier said than done. Well, right. Yes, and so it's, it's sure easy to make a podcast about, hey guys, go do the gospel <laughs> by your actions yeah. without actually acting upon it. And so the opportunity is here to evaluate the disciplines in which we lack, right? To look at ourselves and say, maybe I'm strong in faith, but I'm weak in action, or I'm strong in action, but I'm weak in faith. And so looking at myself through that, through, through the microscope of, 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 you know, Christian life and saying, okay, I, I, I recognize that Jesus is the son of God and I have no problem believing that. 
that. Okay. But man, this bread of life thing. Wow. That is just almost insurmountable. And yeah. so taking that to prayer can give a lot of aha moments or seeking out someone that doesn't struggle in that portion of their faith. Maybe you know someone, for example, the priest at your parish that, that understands the true presence of the Lord, right? That understands that, that it doesn't always take that form like it does in those Eucharistic miracles we talked about. And, and so just taking that impetus, impetus of doubt and weakness and turning it into a place of understanding and strength by taking it to prayer and taking it with de decisive action to actually seek out those places in which you lack. Yeah, yeah. Well, and seeking out your parish priest is an excellent suggestion because they are the heralds, right? They are the ones that are continuing to uh, proclaim God's word. And so if they believe he is telling the truth and proclaiming what he proclaimed, uh, all the more reason to go to them to seek counsel, especially if we're in doubt. So doubt no more. Seek out those places where um, you have doubt and seek answers for them uh, through sacrament, through prayer, through your parish priest. Yeah. Uh, this is a great challenge for the week. Study, study the places where that discipleship is lacking, right? Where the discipline has not rooted itself. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, with that, I think we should have some prayer, huh? All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, so oftentimes we discredit you and we just make you the carpenter's son. We just make you, oh, that's just Mary's boy. And that doubt is real. It's human. It's, it's, it's a completely relatable and, and human flesh-based emotion of just saying, you know, I can't, I can't see, taste, taste, touch, smell, or hear this. And because of that, because my senses limit sometimes my understanding, it, it, it can really cripple us, Lord, to have a, a deeper understanding of the truth that exists within our faith. So I, I ask, Lord, that just this week you, you help us to overcome those, those lackings. You overcome those sensory needs that we have and allow us to have an experience of you within that, that, that spiritual sense, that, that closeness. And that, that if we make the effort, if we truly put ourselves in a place of pursuing you, Lord, that we can have an experience of you, even in the slightest. Maybe it comes from a, a smile of, uh, that we receive from a friend or a love, a loved one, or, or maybe it's something much more simple of just feeling at peace in a place that we normally don't by offering that, that place of lack of discipline over to you. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. For Manfully Alive Podcast, my name is Mike with a mic. And I'm Deacon Nick. Have an amazing week. God bless.